Blog Talk Radio. It's time for the Hadit.com Radio Show. Hadit.com Radio is an in-depth look at all things VA. If you need help with the VA, log on to Hadit.com. Now, here's your host, Gerald Cook. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, on this sixth day of July, 2017. We're here with our co-host, Jay Basser. And today, our guest speaker, Mr. Ray Cobbs, or Cobb. Uh, well, now it could be Cobbs. Uh, you have... <laughs> Some kids uh, do, don't you, Ray? I, I do, I do. I have, uh, <laughs> I have more children and grandchildren than I can keep up with, to be real honest, right now. <laughs> yeah, oh, I Lord. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I can't, I can't even remember all the names. I can't uh, either. But, uh, and great-grandchildren. Boy, well, you're ahead uh, of me there. I don't have any great grandchildren yet. I got three so far. But, uh, anyway, uh, we was going to discuss your your uh, drop put rating, I think, uh, wasn't we? And uh, yeah, take off from there and then get into some other other things. But uh, this. Uh, drop foot, would you explain the drop foot uh, uh, to our audience out there? Oh, by the way, if there's anyone out there uh, listening in, uh, if you have a question or comment, feel free to call in. The number is 347-237-4819, and then you... After the lady speaks, you just hit the number one. Now bring in the queue with us. Uh, that number once again is three four seven two three seven four eight one nine. So feel free to call in and ask a question. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Explain this drop foot stuff here, uh, Ray. Okay, well, if you would. Well, drop foot. Drop foot is con- is a condition that can only occur basically three different ways. Uh, I say three, actually one of them is kind of the same. It can occur from a heart attack or a stroke causing uh, the, the nerve affected from the brain. Number two, if you were in an automobile accident or some type of a trauma accident and you actually crush your ankle and damage the, per- the perineal nerve, which is what allows you to lift your foot. Uh, in other words, if you can keep your heel on the ground and lift your toes, that's the perennial nerve that does that. The third way is from diabetic neuropathy, which is a long term of, of having neuropathy, and eventually it kills the nerve, the perennial nerve, which means that when you lift your foot up to walk, your toes actually drop down. And that's why they call it drop. And uh, you actually stumble, trip, fall. 
uh, all of those things. And once that's determined, then you can wear a brace. Uh, they give you a, a kind of a brace that goes under my foot and goes behind my calf. And when I relax, it actually lifts my foot up. So when I lift up uh, my leg to walk, it actually lifts my front of my foot up so that I, my toes don't drop and I don't trip. But the official title of loss of use of foot is the total and complete loss of the perennial nerve. And when you have that, that is commonly known as foot drop. And that's the directions that you're wanting your doctor to say you have. Now, the VA doctors are not allowed to put that in your records. All they're allowed to put in your records is foot drop. So if you go back and you look up 38 CFR 3.350 and you go down and you look up loss of use of a foot, then that will give you that definition that I just gave you. And it's supposed to be assumed, although I never trust anything being assumed, uh, that that's what you have. What I have done once I was uh, diagnosed over a year ago now with my first foot drop, I went and uh, to a podiatrist and to a regular general practitioner and got them to agree that that's what I had, and I showed them the definition, and I said, would you put that in my notes for today, and that you concur with the VA doctor that that's what I have, and they both did that, so I filed my claim, and I submitted that, and went for a C&P exam, and after about, oh, I think it was about four or five months, I received my first drop foot or loss of use of foot. Now, that is a K award. This is what you get start looking into after you get to 100%. Now, once I got that K award, that came along with an automobile grant. They basically give you $20,000 and let you go out and pick up an automobile, and they'll pay you up to $20,000. Anything over that, you've got to buy and then it has standard adaptive equipment with it, seats, heated seats, and air conditioning and things of that nature. But then they also, if with drop foot, you may have to go to a scooter. And if you do, then they will put a lift and furnish the scooter along with that, which is what they did for me. Back in November, um, after all this took place back the previous spring, I actually developed drop foot in my left foot. So I went through basically all the same procedures again. I was told I had drop foot. They sent me to um, to get my brace. I got my brace. I got my brace actually in December. So on January the 29th, excuse me, January the 19th, I went down and I filed for loss of use of second foot due to drop foot caused by diabetic neuropathy, which is military-connected for me because I have my diabetic uh, is connected, military-connected. Once that happened, uh, it was kind of strange. They didn't know what to do with it because it's to start with very few people, uh, unless you're in a combat zone and actually lose the use of two at the same time, very few people lose just one at a time, very, very few. Uh, matter of fact, most of the time it is a diabetic that that happens to. Uh, then the next thing step that I had to take in April, 
uh, I think it was around April the 15th, I believe is what I had marked uh, uh, somewhere along in that date, I received a letter saying, what is it you're exactly applying for? Well, I thought, if you don't know what I'm applying for, what's this rating judge out here asking? <laughs> so I went back and I said, okay, I'm applying for my second loss of use. I lost my first uh, drop due to drop foot and gave them the day. Now I have been told I have the second. I have been given the AFO brace, and I'm now wearing braces on both feet. And just judging from what I have read in the 38 CFR codes, that determines that I have the loss of two. And with the loss of two, that kicks me over into the U.S. Code 1114. Now I can go down and I look and look and see what K's and L's and what happens when you get to that level. If you have two L's, and this is important, I did leave out one step in between that I'll need to go back and pick up on. If you have two L's, two losses, that automatically slides you to an O if you have a military-connected disability of 60% or larger. Now my military-connected disability was because of a stenic heart disease and open heart surgery with a double bypass with an ejection factor of less than 50. Now, that would the two with that that gives me an L. Now, previously back in September, my primary care doctor said your wife is doing a lot for you now. I'm going to uh, put in for standard uh uh, aid in attendance. Well, standard aid in attendance is not all that hard to get if you have drop foot or diabetes and you can't see very well and your wife has to help you get dressed sometimes and has to fix the meals and, and has to help you with your medication from time to time, then you will qualify for standard aid in attendance. Standard aid in attendance is an L. So since I received that back in September, and then on June the 15th, a couple of months ago or a month ago, they gave me my loss of use, which was my second K for double loss of use, both the right and the left foot. That made a second L. So now I have two L's. I hope you're following me with this now. When you get <laughs> two L's... That slides you to the O under uh, U.S. Code 1114. And when the way the code reads under 1114, under O, says that when you receive the O rating, you automatically go to the next level of aid and attendance. Whatever that next level is, if you don't have standard, it takes you to standard. If you got standard, it takes you to R1. If you have R1, they put you in a nursing home and give you R2. But that's that's the way the rating works. Now, it's very, very important, very important, that you get that standard aid and attendance before you get that second loss. Because if you don't have that first L from aid and attendance, then it goes to an M and a half, which makes you short of getting to the O. So it's really critical. Now, we're talking 
we're talking a lot of money. Um, right now, I was just a few dollars less than $4,000 a month. My new income with the R1 rating is going to be $7,452 a month. My, my Tremendous increase. Good. And also, with that, you automatically qualify for a deputy housing grant of $77,000. And they sent a contractor out this morning to go over my house and review it and tell me what the minimum changes I would make, need to make, in order to uh, be able to get around in my scooter that I have uh, to be mobile. In the inside my home, uh, make life a little easier. Now the interesting part, which I did not know till this morning, let's say, and I'm just taking a guess of what he told me. Let's say that what I have to do to make my house handicapped, uh, handicap adaptive, is going to run me somewhere around twenty-five, twenty-six thousand dollars. My grant is for seventy-seven thousand. If you don't spend all of the 77000 they will apply it to your existing mortgage to help pay your house off. Oh, that's a good deal. Yeah. And most well, people yeah. don't even know that those programs are even out there. That's true. You're absolutely correct. Uh so there's some, some good benefits there, uh, but you have to do your due diligence and and certainly uh, do the research that's required to put things in proper order. That's, and, that uh, is the most important thing right there. You just mentioned it, putting them in the proper order. See, if I had not applied or my doctor had not encouraged me to apply for aid and attendance, after I lost the use of my first foot, I would not yeah. have ever qualified for for the. I would not have qualified for the housing grant, and I would not have qualified for the increase of salary. Well, it looks like you did it right, uh, and and that's good. Well, I got to thank James. James and I discussed it quite a bit, and. Uh, and we know of a gentleman that didn't do it correctly. He actually got his lost foot, the loss of his first. Well, when he got his loss for, after he got his loss for his first, uh, oh, I don't know how long, it was probably about the same as myself, about a year and a half, he lost the use yeah. of his second. Well, he never applied for standard aid and attendance. So then he goes in and he applies for loss of use of second and standard aid and attendance all at the same time. Because he did it that way, what it does, he got both loss of use, but it took him to an M. Now, he did get the housing grant, but he did not get the increase in salary. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really important to make sure you do it lot, in the proper yeah. order. Yeah. yeah. So he basically game. lost about $48,000 a year. Yeah. yeah. 
and um, it's all written Absolutely. down. He kind of knew what he was doing, you know, what he should have, you know, could have, should have, would have. What he really should have done was to take him because they they work those standard aid and equipment uh, and assistance. They work fairly quickly. Uh, they try to get those out within within sixty days, and they did mine, and they've done a couple of others that I'm aware of that I've helped get it, and uh, um, that's one of the keys right there. And so once, if he had gotten that first and then gone for his second loss, because you don't have to go for your second loss as soon as the the doctor tells you you've lost the use of a hand or a foot or whatever. You don't have to do it right then. You can do it at any time after that. So there's no time limit on when you have to apply for it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, kind of a, a lot of those little hidden questions and little procedures and little things that are uh, they're there in black and white. But if you're not trying to find something, or somebody has told you about it, um, they're not for sure what to do. And my and my agent that I was working with down at the regional office. Uh, when I was sitting with her in April and filling out my form on the uh, 41238 to explain what I was really wanting, she says, oh, that doesn't work that way. I said, yes, it does. And I explained to her how it worked, and she looked it up, and she says, well, I'll be daggone. She says, you put this down. <laughs> and she told me how to put it down. I put it down, and it flew right through. That was on April, I think around April the 21st or 22nd. And... um there it was approved, approved by June 15th. And she told me then, she says, I have never worked with anyone that qualified for an O. And she's, and she's been with the Veterans Service Office for over 20 years. She's getting ready to retire next year. Well, you had the right procedure, Ray. And that's what this boiled down to. And I think... You know, the same rule applies with most things veterans are applying for. It's had the proper procedure and certainly the adequate uh, documentation to to, uh, be able to present in front of that, uh, present to the, the VA. And uh, you need someone there you can – how close do you live to the VA? Can you just march in down there? At, oh, no, uh, I'm, 95, like I'm 95 miles away. Oh, I'm Nashville or Murfreesboro? Nashville. Nashville okay. Federal Building is there. Oh, All of my doctors, because of my, my uh, uh, diabetes and everything is so severe, they send me to Nashville. They don't send me to Murfreesboro. Okay, you, you talking about that? Where's it on 21st Street, or where's that at? The VA down in Nashville. It is on 21st it's downtown, Street, right it? there. Uh, yep, yeah, right by yeah. uh, by Vandy. Vanderbilt University. Mm-hmm. It's on okay. the back side of I've the Vanderbilt right Hospital. Yeah, I've been back through there. A little road through there. You, you get in the right hand lane, you're in trouble because it always cuts off, or you wind up the parking yeah. lot. I know that road real well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wanna I wanna add a little bit of ice in this cake here that you're eating. Okay, now I looked this reg up on a special adaptive housing game. And you're right, you know, lost use of both legs or both arms or 
If you're blind and both eyes, well, I don't want that to happen. If you right. lose one lower leg and residuals of organic disease or injury, you still get it. But what Correct. severe burns? Now, what gets me, Gerald, you can listen to this very close, okay? Yeah. Another, I just saw a new area, another area of criteria. If you're blind in both eyes with 2,200 visual acuity or less, loss of use of both hands, or severe burn injuries, or certain severe respiratory injuries. Oh, yeah. I got that, Gerald. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ray, you teach us a whole lot, buddy. You keep it up. We're learning, we're learning more, more and more every day. Well, you know, what I, what I learned from your show when I was listening to it back in November on independent living, I never heard of independent living till November. Yeah. And I started researching and looking into that, and that's a that's another great program for anyone. Uh, I yes, think every is. veteran. Um, I just I received my independent living uh, grants. Um, matter of fact, I just they just finished up here this last week, and and you know that's a program that that is easy to apply for. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least in our area, it is. Uh, after I listened to your show, in uh, I think it was in the November show, I went down to uh, the regional uh, area office and uh, federal building mm-hmm. and uh, walked in and I told them I wanted to apply for um, uh, unemployability to see if I was still employable or see if I could get any training. And uh, it's under the rehabilitation dep- office there. And independent living is, I'm going to say, I'm going to use the term hid in that in that particular uh, program. So All I right. go in and I fill out the form. It's a little two-page form. Filled it out, turned it in. Uh, I guess about two weeks later, I get a letter in the mail telling me that I've been assigned a counselor and the person's name and uh gave me a code where I could go on the computer and take a little test. Well, the test was a speed test to see how fast you could could operate a computer. And you're allowed to take it or try it three times. And I went in, looked it up, tried it three times, failed it three times. And I thought, man, you got to be young and quick to get this thing right. You know, that's why I don't play video games. And, uh, Uh-oh. Then I guess it was two or three weeks later, uh, not even that long, it's probably a week later, I got a call from my counselor, scheduled me to come in for a personnel, personal interview. Well, we go in, and basically a lot of the same questions that were on the form uh, were also a part of the first part of the interview. And about halfway through the interview, she says, I don't think you're going to be surprised, but you're no longer employable. You're considered unemployable. I said, okay, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I'm almost 70 years old. That doesn't surprise me at all. I can't get out and do things like I used to when I was 30. And uh, she said, so now we have to look at a new program we have called Independent Living. Well, I didn't want to start jumping up and down for joy, but... (laughs) 
<laughs> I said, oh, really? I said, well, tell me a little bit about that. She said, well, we want to make your life easier as you get older. I said, okay. So she said, uh, let's talk a little bit. Do you have problems sleeping? I said, well, yeah, I do. I've got back problems, and I've been told I need to sleep on a firm mattress, and and I have um, uh, sleep at me, and now they have to set me up at night. I'm supposed to raise up if I can't breathe real well, and, and I need one of those tilt beds, I guess. I don't know. I don't have one. She said, do you have a good mattress? I said, yeah, I've got a good mattress. She says, okay. That's all she said was, okay. And she goes on to the to the next question. And um, it was, what do you do around your house? And I told her how I helped veterans and worked with veterans and a few things I do through my church and things like that. And she said, okay, thank you. I'll be in touch with you. Well, I guess it wasn't even a week. She called and scheduled what they called an in-house uh, walkthrough. And her and another counselor came, and we sit down, and once again, we kind of went over the same things that uh, we had gone in the interview in her office. And then she, she says, could you mind showing us through your home? And we said, no, that you know, that'd be fine. Come, come on. And we're walking back and show her, you know, back through the where I stay and where my computer is. and uh, She said, you mentioned the bed. She says, can we see your bedroom? Yeah, well, can we see your, your bathroom that you use, see if it's uh, wheelchair uh, handicap compatible? And I said, well, yes. I said, the uh, uh, the chair the chair that I have there in the thing is, it's mounted to the wall and everything. And I said, I can use my HESA grant for that. And she said, oh, that's good. But she says, you need another handbar. She said, matter of fact, you need two. I said, okay. She said, we'll get them for you. Oh, okay, that's nice. She says, has your doctor said anything about your mattress? Well, he said I'd probably help my back if I had a more firm mattress. She said, you talked about one that would tilt up? I said, yeah, there's my CPAC machine sitting beside the bed. I have to use that every night. She said, huh, we will get you a firm mattress. I said, Really? And so walked out, going down the hall. She's looking. I used to be a professional photographer, so I got a lot of photographs of animals and things like that. I covered sports for years. I did NFL, NASCAR, Major League Baseball and things. And she's looking at all the photographs and things that are hanging in a couple of the rooms. And We get down, and I have one down in my man cave that I shot, oh, I guess it's been 10 years ago now, of an eagle. She said, I bet since you're on your scooter, you can't get out and make a photograph like that anymore, can you? I said, no. She said, do you miss it? Yeah. She looked around. She said, looked over at the other lady. She said, you know, I think we can definitely justify him being a photographer all this time, that it would help him mentally to relax if he could still go out and shoot. And I got real quiet. And she says, do you need a telephoto lens? I thought a second. I said, yeah, and she said, what size lens do you need? I said, well, I could use one of two. I said, there's an 80 to two, a new 80 to 200 Nikon 2.8 lens, and I said, it's right at $3,000, and I said, then there's a 300 2.8 lens, which is what I'd really like to have, but it's a little over $5,000. She said, we'll get you the first one. 
my jaw dropped. <laughs> oh, boy. If I had been wearing false teeth, they'd have been laying on the floor. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding me. She said, no, I want you to look up and email me the description of that lens. And I said, okay. So that night, I got on the computer and pulled up the description and sent her the description. She called me the next day. This is the day after. And she says, do you mind if we order this from a mail-order house out of New York? Well, I knew which one it was. There's only one up there that has that type of lens. I said, no, I, I, don't, I don't mind at all. And she says, okay, uh, I'll let you know when it's coming. Well, I, I still can't believe what they're doing. And uh, I, if I remember correctly, that was like on a Wednesday and I, before she even gets back in touch with me, I get an email from the lens place up in New York that says, we shipped your lens today. You will receive it Monday between 10 and 1 o'clock. <laughs> it came. <laughs> it came. Oh, there you go. Now, what can you, you know, it's great if you've got the need, if you um, go through the process and go through the program. And don't, you know, the thing that I did not do, I did not go in there with the attitude that they owe this to me. I went in with the attitude if anything you give me, I will appreciate it. And you that's bet. what they yeah. did. They just went out of their way to try to give me things that that would help me improve my daily life. They was trying to work with you, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of veterans' troubles uh, are their attitudes. Uh, uh, if they just be a little kinder when they're trying to deal with these people, it'll, you know, they're more apt to work with you. And and some of them will even go out of the road to help you. And sound like you... You did good. You got a hold of a good person there that worked with you. I think that's that's important too. I think the majority, by far the majority. Now there's still some some stinkers in there, but the yeah, majority of yeah. them do want to help you. They do want to work with you. But you know, I have there is this veteran here in our area, and you just hit it right on the head. He has got a very anger, bitter attitude because they want approve him at a higher rating that he thinks he should have. And it has to do with his neck, and the highest rating he can get is 20%, and he thinks it should be 60%. Now, he already has a total of 70%, I think it is. And he wants to try to get over to that unemployability mark. But I keep telling him, you're going the wrong way, but his... his um, he he. I hate to say it this way, but he just won't listen. And uh, finally, well, last week, he was, he, he uh, you know, he, the problem is he, he has worked himself up to where he's depressed. He's, he's you know, he's worked himself into that because of this. He's actually about to get a divorce, or his wife has already filed for divorce, actually. And and uh, uh, it's all because of his his attitude about why he thinks he deserves that particular rating on that particular problem. Uh, 
And um, what does he think that he deserves uh, seventy on his neck? What, I mean, the sixty would percent on his neck is he? I mean, you saying well, he's got he twenty just, that based on his range of motion? He he has nothing. He has nothing to back that up except what he thinks. I've tried to get him to go in and look at the rating codes so he could see yeah. firsthand what the rating would be and should be. And um, yeah, he's based and on I've tried uh, to explain how that works, and uh, he just doesn't want to do it. That was based on range of motion, and he and he he had a pretty good range of motion, or he wouldn't, or he, you know, I mean, I know people that's actually thought he was going to get thirty four percent, went up to ten, and it don't matter. Well. As far as range yeah, of motion, and, and the biggest one's right. looking Did, down. I, you know, I've watched him. He can turn his neck. He doesn't have any problems driving. He doesn't have any problems turning his neck. Now, yes, Again, it may hurt. I'm not saying it doesn't hurt, you know. Yeah. Again, but what he really should, yeah, and what he should really be applying for, and I told him this, he's been seeing a psychologist for three years. They've got him on medication. I said, you need to file for uh, uh, depression with high anxiety attacks due to the fact yep. of your neck bothering you and you're in constant pain. He said, what does that go do? I said, it's going to get you 100%. you got three <laughs> years of doctor's records. they got you on some of the strong medication. It's going to get you 100%. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see. Yeah. I told him that I would drive him down next week if he wanted to, and we would properly file the proper documentation for him to receive, you know, his uh, um, depression with high anxiety attacks. Um, and that can go anywhere from 20% to 100%. Just, uh, you know, uh, and he's near it. Uh, when he called me this week, it was uh, Sunday afternoon, and while I was talking with him, no, I'm sorry, it was Friday. While I was talking with him, he had called and gotten an argument over the phone with someone at VA. They had gotten off the phone with him, and they called the police because they thought he was suicidal. When I was on the phone with him, the police knocked on the door. Oh, my land. And uh, uh, he told them, he said, oh, I, he said, I'm so tired of fooling you guys, I think I'll just go out and kill myself. And that that triggered the phone call. I figured the phone call to the local police. They came out. They talked with him. He called me back about an hour and a half, two hours later, told me what had happened and everything. <laughs> and I said, you know, in a way that's bad, but in a way it's good. But the good thing is that there's going to be a report now that you threatened suicide to a VA employee and that she had to call the police to come out and check on you. That's going to help build your case. I don't like the fact that that's the way you did it, but that will help build your case for having depression. You know? Be careful, though, because I know a couple of instances where uh, the guys had PTSD like that, and they basically did the same thing he did, and he kept being very irate and going off on them. And he went as far as to call the Inspector General on them. The Inspector General turned the investigation around put it on him, and he said, how much time has Robert been in jail, girl? Oh, quite a while. Uh, uh, the key. Yeah. He's got to be careful the way he's got to be nice to him, treat him with a little bit of respect, or they can turn the tables on you in a hurry. Yep. 
Yeah, they can have you incarcerated there for about a year or so. Yeah. You know, well, they really can. Or take your and, benefits, uh, whatever benefits you are getting, take them away and turn them over to your wife or somebody else. They can absolutely do that. Assign you a trustee over you and, <laughs> and uh, then you're at their mercy. And they still might do it if he goes off for depression and he gets service connected to a higher rating. They might look at his history and they might come and say, this guy can't handle his finances and assignment for this area. And since he's going through a divorce, it probably won't be his wife. and probably should be some attorney downtown. And he'll have to beg, squeal, and scream to get money off of him. Yeah. 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 Or and he, he I does don't know. Once you get, you get one of them fiduciaries, I suspect it is really difficult to get out from under them if you can. You know, well, it depends on I the understand judge. That, that, well, I think it's not just the judge, but I think it also depends on his psychologist has to tell and be willing to say how long he's been behaving himself and that he's gotten his man, uh, anger management under control. I mean, it would, I'm, I would imagine that it would at least be three to five years before he could even possibly get it back. Let me ask you. Let me ask you, uh, you a, may be a big right. question, Ray. Now, several years ago, the VA changed their whole, they changed the whole enchilada on post-traumatic stress mental health ratings. Now, Correct. this psychiatrist, is this, is this a VA doctor or is he outside the VA? He's a VA doctor, and that's what I told him. Do that's not, good. Do not file for post-traumatic stress disorder because you have not seen combat. And you did not have boots on the ground in Vietnam. He was actually in Desert Storm area, but he never went over there. He was all the time uh, here in the United States, and he actually was in an accident um, while in the military, which uh, uh, basically broke his neck, but it didn't kill him or anything. But that's why he's having the problems. And uh, so I said that you don't want to, you don't want to go tell him you got PTSD because you hadn't. You don't have PTSD. You know, you have you have depression with high anxiety attacks. Right. Uh, and That's you have management control now. issues. If you go outside the VA and say you want to get an opinion on your mental health and you see an outside doctor that's an outside shrink that's not VA affiliated, the VA has got a right to throw that in the garbage because they'll only service connect you for PTSD or mental health disorders if you're actually seeing a VA doctor or the doctor you're seeing outside the VA has been treating you for a certain period of time. Yes, so that's that. something you want to remember. That's a very you know that that messed a whole lot of people up because then people finally here getting these opinions and IMOs and stuff, and the VA put a stop to that. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you got to. Uh, you know, you need. I recommend that. This is just the way I teach my veterans that I try to help. Tell me what your problem is. Do you have a diagnosis of that problem? And then we look up and see what that problem should give him, what type of a rating. It can be, you know, anywhere from 5 to 20 or maybe 10 to 40, whatever. And and I say, don't expect any more than that on this one particular situation. Now, what I would like to ask you to do is to go to two doctors outside of the VA. 
But I want you to carry your diagnosis with you from your VA doctor and ask if they concur and agree with it and mention the VA's name in their report. And every one of them is flown through. They don't go down there trying to say, oh, this doctor said this or that doctor said that. They go in and, and like, they'll go into to one of the local doctors here that I recommend that they go see. He said he will not see them unless they have a diagnosis from the VA. That's his criteria. And he said you make sure that they tell the person when they're booking that they want a consultant about a VA medical doctor's decision. And he said, if I agree with him, that's fine. I will write it up and agree with him. If I disagree, I will also disagree with him and, and you know, and not go along with the diagnosis, but maybe tell or recommend something else. Well, now here's the good thing about that. If you go to an outside doctor and he does not give you what you think you should have on his report and he does not agree with the VA doctor, you do not have to turn that in with your claim. You can take it home, stick it in your desk drawer. Yeah, that's if, true. You can only use, you can use whatever you want as long as it's your your material. Yeah, that's correct. Now there is there is a catch to that. <laughs> There's a catch to that that everybody needs to be aware of when they when you fill out your reform. They said, "Have you been seen or treated, or being treated by any other doctor?" That's why I don't get them to go to the other doctor till after they turned in their request. Because at the time they turn yeah. in their claims, the answer to that is no. Doctor now I'll go see another doctor. Yeah. Yeah. So, you once again, it's that little... You get a lot of... Go ahead, Ray. Oh, no, that's fine. I was like, do you get a lot of uh, vets with lung disease? I get a few. Matter of fact, I'm working with one right now. He was in the Air Force back in the uh, uh, late 50s, early 60s. He was down at uh, in the Pensacola, Florida area, and he was a, a construction worker. And he has a COPD, and he has uh, uh, his part of his job was cleaning or remodeling the barracks where they had a lot of asbestos. Okay. Now, I had him go to a lung specialist and have the test ran that would show if there was any asbestos still in his lungs. It came back negative. Yeah. Okay. It came back negative. And I told him, I don't think we have a chance to stand, but we can take the report and the doctor's letter down there anyway. But I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, unless, unless the, you know, the, C&P examiner thinks otherwise or sees otherwise, um, you know, I just don't think you go win it. Um, and, uh, yeah. um, you know, that's one of those one of those gray areas. Uh, the only other lung disease I've dealt with, a couple of individuals coming back from Iraq, and, and I understand that and Vanderbilt's working on this, Vanderbilt University, the medical center, there is evidently a microscopic type of a sand flea is what they're calling it 
that is, that mm-hmm. our uh, soldiers breathe that's causing kind of infections and bites and reproducing in the lungs, uh, which makes them have a cough all the time. Um, right. The last I heard, I do not know if they have found a cure for that, nor do I know if they've given that a disability rating. It's, since I haven't had to work with any of them, I, that's one area I haven't followed through with yet. Pull on the restrictive lung disease. They would, you know, they may not be an actual rating, but they would go off the of symptomology. They still rate it. Mm. They would go off the of okay. symptomology and rate it. But, uh, okay. Anytime you got a veteran, that's, you know, under fifties or sixties, and they have uh, lung issues like that, ask them how their heart's doing and if they've had a heart cath or an echo lately. Yeah. You, if they tell you that, ask them to look the heart cath up. Look at first thing you will look at the pulmonary artery pressure. It's above 25, then that should be a 100% rating for the guy on his graduation because it's pulmonary hypertension. And that's a, that's, I've worn that buku of times for veterans because, you know, they'd give them 30% for lungs. But you come back to uh-huh. an echo or a heart cast and they got pulmonary hypertension, and uh, that trumps everything. Yeah. The only one that doesn't affect asthma, the rest of it, it's every lung rating except for asthma. Hmm. Gerald, how many times have I won that claim, Gerald? <laughs> I don't know, quite a few. Uh, isn't, it, isn't it interesting, once we learn how to win a particular claim, we kind of seems like everybody that you run into has that very problem, right? That's why I think it's A lot of people do. You wouldn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and most of them don't even know not, what benefits they're entitled to. It's not the lung disease that's going to kill you. It's the effect the lung disease has on your heart. That's what's going to kill you. You know, I got an interesting case that that I've been working on now for about four months. A gentleman uh, has had a uh, heart disease. He's had diabetes. Not very bad on the Mm -hmm. diabetes. He has had a heart attack. He's had head bypass Mm -hmm. surgery. And uh, he only has like a 60% rating. However, uh, they denied him on the diabetes because they said he wasn't in Vietnam. And he looked at him and he says, I was in Vietnam. I said, well, what, do we, what did you do? He said, I was in the Air Force. And, well, what did you do? He said, special operations. Well, where were you stationed? He just looked at him and shook his head. He said, I can't tell you. He said, my files are classified. Black ops. Black ops. So, so they, we got to the point, we requested his files. Man, I've never seen so many black lines through that file as... You know, every operation, everything was blackened out. Well, finally, yesterday, we received uh, his military pay during that time frame. And it shows, the best I can read it, and I'm not the expert on all the little codes and numbers and stuff, but it looks like he received combat pay and hazardous duty pay. Well, during during the 60s and and uh, late 50s and early 60s uh, to the mid-60s, the only combat and hazardous duty pay that I'm aware of was somewhere in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Now, he has shared some of his stories with me, and I have no doubt, because he tells me the funny ones. You know, he doesn't tell me the scary ones or the horror ones, but he tells me the funny ones. And I have no doubt that he wasn't there. 
but he won't mm-hmm. say it. He will say when I was out on on a, on an assignment, or when I was out on patrol, or when I was out on an operation, and that's the way he refers to it. Now he won't even say when, where, but um, mm-hmm. we did we did get his pay records, so we're going to submit his pay records as proof that the only way he could have received uh, combat pay and hazardous duty pay was to be in the field of operations of Vietnam during 19, I think it was 1959 to 1966 is when he was off and on in the Air Force and over there. You know, the VA needs to have somebody in their system that can actually reach out to DOD and have the clearance enough to go to DOD and look at the record and see that themselves with the cows in Vietnam or that this guy had to jump through the hoop. Well, I got to call from our the personnel, uh, John. They just—it's something they don't want to do. That's bottom yeah. line. Mm-hmm. That's right. They just don't want to do. They—they they know. Uh, they know. That's worth. I had my. Uh, uh, I had a, a county agent. A county agent called me today. He said, "Ray, I heard that you get know how to get pay records." for individuals that were in Vietnam but were on special assignment and their records are sealed. And I said, yeah, there's two ways. And he said, what are those two ways? I said, number one, you can get your congressman to request the pay records. They have to give you the pay records. Yeah. And I said, so that might take 30, it might take 60 days, but you will get them. I said, the, number, the second thing you can do, you can ask your congressman to go to DOD and request a letter stating that this individual during this time frame was either in Vietnam or in a combat zone or in an area uh, where combat was was seen. I said that alone then would get him the PTSD, it would get him his Agent Orange, it would get him all of those things. Diabetes, you know, heart conditions, and get him all the stuff that, that this one particular guy he said was suffering. But he, but they keep, they've told him that we have no proof that you're in Vietnam. Uh, and, did he get the diabetes first, or did he have the heart disease first? Um, I don't know. You'd ask him because know. there's also if he gets his medicine, if he gets his medicine the VA. And say, for yes. example, he they diagnosed him with, with coronary artery disease, with heart issues, with blood pressure and stuff. And if the heart disease is diagnosed first and the diabetes came later on, there's an avenue they could also use that certain statin drugs like uh, Jim Fibrozil and Vascor and other things like that, if they put you mm-hmm. on that drug at a certain time, and that actually speeds up and causes you to get diabetes. There's mm-hmm. already been lawsuits over that. You might be able to use the medication aspect to get his diabetes service connected. Okay. Okay. No. I mean, I'm not saying it's a slam dunk, but it's not a long shot. Well, no. hey, that's right. You know, you, you never know till you try as to what may shake out of the woodwork. That's right. Uh, but that, you know, that's... Exactly right. Um, just constantly, you know, Working, reading, uh, talking about it. Um, I actually purchased a set of books 
that prepare you for the accreditation exam. And just reading that and finding out all the... <laughs> Pardon? That was a lick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it it, uh, it it wasn't as bad if this place I, the place that I go to or went to, they normally get $700 for them. But if you tell them you're a veteran and you're applying for the accreditation, they sell them to you for $200. Give me a favor. Okay. Email me that information, would you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give I appreciate you the name that. And look, you know how to how to reach them because yeah. uh, you look anywhere else and they're anywhere from five to seven hundred dollars or eight hundred dollars for a. Or you go to the yeah. training school and they give you the books and charge you a thousand dollars. Then you go to school for a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does Crips work uh, on his too, or he get his? I'm sorry. Is Crips is James worked on his or did he get his? Uh, he has not gotten his letter, um, and I just got mine two weeks ago, um, giving him permission to take the exam. Yeah. But right now I'm going to have to put mine off. Like I said, I cannot even uh, sit in a chair um, for an hour to take the exam. It's supposed to be an hour and a half, two-hour exam. Um, you have to go to Murphy's and I, and, and, right. I have to go to Nashville. And I... Okay. Uh, really have a problem because of the fact that I don't want to help get a gentleman's claim going. And you know how some of these claims can take years. And then I become physically unable to assist him. And that would that would be hard. Well, yeah, there's stipulations too, the old stores. You know, it's kind of hard for you to actually help a person do an initial claim anyway. Because the VA don't really like agents to get involved until we get the appeal process. That's a, correct. That's a, that's a lot of that's a gray line some of these agents are running into. But uh, yeah, I thought about doing it, and uh, you know I like to travel a lot, so I thought about just taking up the old RV and going to different places and having you know having little education sessions for veterans and stuff, and maybe helping them out. Well, that that would be a great idea. You know, back in April we had our seminar here. Uh, which we get the regional office to come in and set up their computers and take claims and file claims and let veterans uh, um, <coughs> follow up on claims. And then we always have a representative from uh, from the congressman's office and a representative from the governor's office. And uh, then we get, the, you know, the, the DAV and the VFW and the American Legion. We have all those representatives there, so it's only a uh, a little half a day uh, seminar, but it's really yep. a uh, a really a helpful little thing to do. And I think what you're talking <laughs> about doing would be a tremendous help. You know, when you get your accreditation, you're probably going to lose a lot of friends in the DAV or that place. Yeah, I know we do. Uh, we do a monthly Veterans Coalition meeting up here. Andy Barr, the congressman, puts it on, and, uh, you know, you see a lot of people. I, you know, I spoke a lot with a lot of people there doing that stuff and uh, made some good contacts, you know, with him, and I get a lot of good information out of D.C. But, uh, you know, outreach is the biggest thing we can do. You know, right. And you guys are doing a good job. But Plus, you guys got the U.S. Veterans Alliance, too, now that can, you know, that, so that gives you a platform. 
Yeah, that that's that has been a real great uh what James has done with that um has just is just outstanding. I mean, it, I don't think anybody really realizes how hard he works on that and how much he works on that and and uh I got a call from him today. He's coming down to see a doctor that I recommend uh he uh, probably since the last time he was on his show, he is actually now has lost the use of his left foot. Now this is going to be three losses for him. And um, Lord, uh, uh, he um, he might be in nursing home. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, I don't know how he's staying out of it. I mean, uh, when you when you know and understand his heart condition and what all he does, I'm like, if he wasn't so active and so angry and, and at the VA and every time he feels great every time he wins the case for somebody, and that keeps him going. Well, yeah. As long as he can keep doing that, uh, I think that's going to keep him up on top of the ground. Uh, between that and his blood like bulldozer and his – pardon? His truck and the big truck. I was trying to say his 10-ton. <laughs> he took that to a parade this last weekend. And uh, uh, then he was telling me today there's some group up north of him a little ways that's having a Veterans Day parade, and they have a group that wants to ride in it uh, in the parade. So he's, he said, yeah, I'll bring it up there. We'll just fill it up. <laughs> so he's got, he's already been invited to take it up to a – he said, yeah, I'm going to put the, uh, the truck up there, and then I'm going to pull my trailer with it, and, and I'm going to put people good. in the Jeep sitting on the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, good, that's a good deal. Yeah, that is a yeah. good deal. Well, if anybody uh, ever happens to be coming down this way and they're going through Mont Eagle Mountain uh, between Chattanooga and Nashville, there is a new uh, museum open that has a whole lot of World War One, World War Two, and Vietnam vehicles. Uh, of all types and everything from the the cook wagon stove to the little camper that for radio communications uh, that they used in World War II, um, several Vietnamese jeeps and vehicles from that time frame. Uh, stop in. It's, uh, it's up on Mont Eagle Mountain in Mont Eagle, uh, about halfway between Mont Eagle and Swanee, which that's only eight miles, so it's about four miles off the interstate. Um, I think they're usually open Monday through Fridays. So uh, uh, might be if anybody's ever traveling or down this way and they want to stop in and see what all they got. They even got a lot of relics around here. Camp Forest was a real big prisoner of war camp and training facilities during World War II, and they have a lot of uh, um, replicas of that. And they got the last flag that was flying over the camp. It was kind of funny. Uh, the guy that actually got it and, and donated it to the museum said he went out there four days after the base had closed just to see what was going on. There wasn't anybody around, and on in front of the headquarters, the American flag was still up. Oh, me. So he took it down and had it ever since, and so now he's donated it and put it on exhibit at, at the museum. Uh, <laughs> good deal. <laughs> But uh, uh, kind of oh, if you, if wait a minute, we're so. we're uh, out of time here. I am. Oh, really? Okay. Where did time go? 
this is one fast hour. Uh, Ray, you you give us a lot of great information here. And uh, with this being in the archives, uh, anyone listening in, if they miss something, they're certainly welcome to go to the archives and re-listen to the show, and that's a good deal there. So, and, and, and if anybody would like to call me and get any of the information that we discussed tonight during the show, they, they're welcome to. Uh, my, my number is 931 308 It's 931-308-8914, and it's Ray Cobb. And, and if I can't answer your questions or get something for you, then I'll pass you on to James or somebody that can. We'll kind That's of great. Do that. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Ray. Uh, this has been a really good show. Uh, well, thanks for having me that, on, and I hope you guys had a good Fourth of July, and uh, well, I look we forward did. to being on with you again someday. Well, well, be our pleasure, I'll tell you that. Uh, and with that, uh, John, thank you for being here as co-host, and uh, uh, people, thank you tuning in to Had It, and... Uh, this will be Gerald Cook with Jay Basser. We'll be signing off for now. You've been listening to the Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio Show, sponsored by Hadit.com. All opinions expressed here are the opinions of the individuals appearing on the show and are not the opinions of Hadit.com or Blog Talk Radio. Tune in next time for another edition of Hadit.com Blog Talk Radio and the Ask Basser Show.